0: Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Café Mi Uh I am Elias Posada, one of your hosts, and I'm here with
1: Alan Negrete. <laughs>
0: I'm <Coming> uh, back. <laughs> so Alan's back. Um, I, I, this episode was going to be one that was a bit more um, on the educational side. We're going to get into it in a second, but I feel like <clears throat> the the stories of our community are never really told in a very wide range i guess all right they're not they're not commonly known because they're not taught you know in school and and even when you get up to higher education and you start working with uh, potentially working with like chicano studies professors and other students like that um it's still hard to find all of the stories tucked into all the nooks and crannies because nobody you know wrote them down or decided they were important enough to keep alive and, and telling so Basically, um, some of our episodes are going to be Chicano Studies 101, if you will, uh, where we'll dig into some historic events and talk about them and and just make you aware that they exist so that you can go and do your own research um, on these stories. You know, we're not going to be able to go into every single detail of every story, but I think just letting you all be aware and and helping you all be aware of of what exists out there. Like I said, the point of these episodes are to share stories and events that aren't necessarily taught very much if at all yeah in Uh, the context of america correct right correct yeah Yeah. and so i guess my question now for you is like growing up um it's a loaded question i think for but i'm gonna ask it anyway but (laughs) what what sort of chicano history were you given were you taught growing up um in school specifically i mean but if but if, if you did have family to talk to you about it i mean that is counts too, but I'm more thinking about the educational system and how our stories get lost in those systems. Yeah. None, Mm. none,
1: none (laughs) at all. I mean, if there was any kind of like, maybe the closest thing would be, you know, immigration stories from my parents Mm -hmm. and their, and their friends and family and, you know, that, you know, but that's, that was their own, like get togethers and parties Mm -hmm. and bonfires and things like that, Mm -hmm. but not in
0: school. Do you think that that would have um, benefited you at all? You know, again, referencing the last episode, you never you said you never really thought about um, Chicano and, like, all the terms um, and everything. But do you think if you had been given history lessons early on, at, would you at least be thinking about those things as opposed to, like, not really even thinking about those? I know it's a hypothetical, but...
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Um... I think just more aware of the the fight, like mm-hmm. you know, like fighting for your place, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of people can still f- struggle with, um, feeling like you have a like a worth or your own, yeah, your own like place in mm-hmm. this world. It
0: it could have influenced that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's worth saying because I think you know I think. It's it's the same with you know Black history. I mean, it, I mean, Asian history is probably even like less yeah. um, in terms of Asian American. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's interesting um, because we hear about Cesar Chavez and and all that sort of stuff, but there's so many things surrounding that, and that not only that, but there's so many things that built up to that. And so that's uh, sort of why I wanted to start doing these episodes, and they won't be, you know, all the time. I know nobody likes a history lesson, but I thought, you know, <laughs> no, for me, cool. I I, I'm, I picked up this book, which I'm going to um, plug here in a moment, even though they're not a sponsor. Not uh, yet? Yeah. But I, you know, it really kind of opened my eyes to so many stories. And for the story tonight, we're going to reference it. And so the book is called Rewriting the Chicano Movement, um, and it's edited by Mario Garcia and Ellen McCracken. Um I don't remember where I saw this it must have been on some Instagram post or something but I immediately saw it bought it um it's pretty new I think it was published last year and they just do you know it's it's a collection of essays and research papers done by various um historians you know uh, educators wherever their background may be <clears throat> and so I'll probably reference it a lot for these sort of episodes and I'm definitely going to lean on it heavily for the one tonight um So, yeah, so I think with that, we can go ahead and jump into the story. All right, so the event uh, that we're going to be discussing uh, in this episode are the El Paso uh, School Walkouts of 1936. So it's one of the earliest recorded events, I guess, of the Chicano movement. I mean, again you can go further back and you can find Mexican American events and Mexican events and all these sort of things that lead up to this. Um, but for the sake of where I wanted to start, I want to start with this because it kind of involves a lot of different things that never really changed. And I think that that's one of the themes from wanting to talk about this as well is that, yes, these students staged a strike. These were middle school students, which makes it all the more interesting. Um, and they just wanted equal education. They just wanted to keep a teacher in their school that treated them like human beings. And that seems like it would be a given. And it wasn't. Um, so it, there's a lot of pieces here. And, and again, it, you know, you talk about the, um, the LA walkouts in the sixties, uh, which are much more popular and, and notarized and talked about and everything. Um, but I really don't think that those things can happen without events like this. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of read through some of this event. And Alan, you chime in with questions or thoughts Great. at any point. Okay. Um, and please do that as much as you'd like. People will okay. get sick of my voice, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, we talked about how in those in those days, in the early 1900s. Um, so we talked about in the early 1900s uh, and, and beyond, but, you know, so schools were separated. Um, they were sent to what are now seen as inferior schools that were referred to as the Mexican schools. Uh, you know, it was it was where the children of all the the laborers, the day labor type um, parents. It, it's where all the, the kids of day laborers would go. Mm-hmm. Farmers, yeah. you know, all that sort of. So this event specifically... Um, took place place in El Paso, as is probably pretty obvious, and it was when a group of middle school students lost um, or were threatened to lose um, their teacher. Her name was Lillian Scott. And um, at that time, you know, these schools were just seen as like, let's just throw them in the school, give them bare minimum, everything education is not really relevant because they're not going to go anywhere right they're gonna grow into day laborers why are we wasting our money our time and our emotions investing in these kids well like any situation like this there are going to be the few that do and it seems like Lillian Scott who was their teacher really pushed for these kids um, and wanted to help them succeed and so this school in particular was called San Jacinto elementary school and um, in the southeastern part of El Paso, um, in an area that was designated as a barrio. Uh, You know, it was overcrowded. There were a ton of these situations where the kids weren't looked after, weren't taken care of, weren't getting a proper education because again, they felt like that wasn't necessary. Uh, Just as an example, the author here, who's Mario Garcia, one of the editors of the book, wrote it as um, teachers who were perceived as too soft on the students could also pay a price. Mexican-American students were seen as part of an unruly Mexican culture that needed to be eradicated in order for them to become good, law-abiding citizens and indirectly obedient future workers. So the schools were set up less so for an education, more so to make them, quote-unquote, an upstanding citizen um, of the community, right? And for them, the highest ceiling that they had in the in the eyes of everyone in charge were, were workers, um, like day laborer type workers
1: uh i have a question sure it was part of um was it was the factor of maybe it was different at the time but schools will have you know more of a budget with more kids mm-hmm. did that factor in like just well let's just get them in here accumulate yeah more, like get the numbers more budget so get more but money. like not it's not gonna go to them
0: yeah i think i think that's a good question i think that i i, I The short answer is, I don't know. But I think at that time that that was something, I think because the schools were separated, I think that was how they allotted funds. So they would say, you know, oh, this is a quote unquote white school. So they're going to get more of the funds because these are the people they're going to get. So I think if anything, I think it was like, this is your budget for this, again, quote unquote Mexican school. And I don't care how many students you have in there. That's your budget. Like figure it out that's the vibe I get. Again, sure. if anyone wants to correct me on that, I, I don't think that that sort of incentive, or I don't even know if you want to call it incentive, existed I, I, yet. I, yeah,
1: I think incentive works because then they are
0: they have less incentive to do much. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? Right. I mean, if, if the government was like, hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars for every graduate you have. I mean, schools might try or I don't know. I don't. I don't want to dive into the educational system, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like... <laughs> not a great history. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this event really started um, when one of the teachers who's not um, Lillian Scott, who's the kids teacher, um, Eleanor Boswell, uh, these are the... It sounds like a. Was that a funny name? I don't know. It's just <laughs> the names are just so old-timey. So I guess it makes sense for the 30s. Um, and Patty and yeah, <laughs> but so um, so Eleanor Boswell uh, saw or felt that the students were misbehaving, and so they decided to, she decided to keep them after school, and to report early the next day for further disciplinary action. Um, but Lillian Scott the the quote unquote, good teacher here, I guess, uh, came, uh, she came, she found out about the punishment and, but they were, she did, she was not happy that the punishment was, um, was given out because they're, they were having a final rehearsal for their school play, uh, called Texas birds and flowers. Um, so, you know, she kind of stood up for the kids and said that, um, that you know I don't think this punishment is fair and I think you know what what exactly is going on and so I don't know that she got a response from from Miss Boswell in particular but later on um during the the protest which we'll get to uh, the students explained that their misbehavior had to do with prolonged laughter at one of Mrs Boswell Miss Boswell's jokes uh, uh and so the punishment came because I guess previously they had not laughed at one of her jokes. So, you know, it's one of those things where you didn't laugh, you got in trouble, and then now you laugh too long. I mean, let's be honest, we know how middle school kids are. I'm sure there was some sort of sarcasm behind that prolonged laughter. But at the same time, <laughs> if, if, that's, if you're going to punish people oh, for not laughing or for laughing too much, it's just kind of a, it's not a good look. This tiny threshold that she had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently, 20 seconds of laughter, no longer. Um, but, you know, I, again, Miss Scott did not feel like that was fair, so she went to the principal, Miss Phillips. And now this is where names are going to get really confusing, so I'll do my best to remind everybody right, do it. who is who. Um, but, yeah, so Miss Scott decides to go talk to the principal, Miss Phillips, um, citing that this punishment isn't fair and that um, she thought that the the principal would back her. It, it seems like an absurd punishment right um and not only that because the play was important to the school and to the kids and it was something that everyone was looking forward to what was the punishment uh they had to stay after school and then report early i i, mean, I think it was like equivalent to detention so detention after school and then come early the following day for detention in the morning for how long uh just i think it was just that afternoon okay but but oh. that afternoon was the final rehearsal i see i see mm-hmm. For their... Sabotage. Okay, yeah. I know. Yeah. Right? Maybe she didn't get the. Maybe she wanted to direct the play. There's <laughs> yeah. a whole. There's a whole, um understory here. Yeah. But anyway, to her, to uh, Miss Scott's surprise, the principal actually sided with Miss Boswell and and agreed with the punishment. Um, and and even on top of that, the principal told her to go home. So don't return to the classroom. Um, which, it seems strange. So. Um, so she got angry she refused to go home she didn't know if she was fired or what what she did to deserve to be sent home so she kind of put up a fight no there's really no rehearsal i know i know no <laughs> plays off yeah but um and so on top of that too uh i guess even more on top of that um the principal actually told the superintendent that miss scott was being uh uh was being ins- was was, ins- Insubordinate? Is that the word? Yeah. So they're uh-huh. saying that she's being insubordinate. Um and that if she had a and then told Scott that Miss Scott that if she had a complaint she could go talk to the superintendent. So um after all this, which is always is also all seems so insane and I don't wanna draw any unnecessary lines. And I say that as I'm about to draw unnecessary lines, but it seems like obviously there was more to the story than just this laughter punishment. So at this point you start thinking, did they not like the fact that she was putting so much time in with these students? Um, Did she, did they feel she was wasting resources? Was the budget of the play getting way out of hand? Was the play fire? Yeah. They just just want to steal the thunder. (laughs) So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean like seriously, we don't really know what was going on behind the scenes cuz you know, they can only report facts in these books and and stuff, but it just it, it does get your mind to start wandering like yeah. what or wondering like what is what else is going on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Miss Scott drives to the uh, superintendent's office and she talks to the assistant superintendent who's there and this in the and she says, you know, I am I fired is that what uh, the principal Phillips was saying when she sent me home and, and then the assistant uh, superintendent said, yeah, that's, that's it. Um, like, yeah, you're done. <laughs> uh, and she also canceled the play on top of everything else. So <laughs> after all that work, after all that work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really crazy to get up to this point while she was fired from San Jacinto, I think she was being sent to another school. Uh, the, the assistant superintendent said that she'd be um, re redesignated, reassigned to a different school and they'd bring in, another teacher to kind of take her place. Um, But when the students heard uh, that the play had been canceled and that she was removed from the school, uh, they spontaneously walked out. So they, you know, I don't, it was just an emotional gut reaction. Um, They were yelling in the hallways, uh, encouraging other kids to join them as they were walking down the hall. Uh, It just was something, again, it makes you think that there had to be other things that got these students to reach this breaking point. It's not that this isn't a big deal, but I just, I just think when you're repeatedly beat down and beat down and beat down at some point, you're just like, I can't anymore. And, and so I think that's important and I think it's been important throughout our whole history of our culture and our community that we stand up for things like this. And it always, not always, it most of the time seems like it's just evolved around just wanting to be treated Nicely yeah. or like, you know, treated <laughs> <bully>. like exactly <laughs> I mean, let let these kids keep their nice teacher Like what is the harm in here? And, and I think and again, I'm drawing my own conclusions But I'm gonna do that anyway, and that's I think there's a world a realistic world in which you don't want In order to keep people In line if you will you don't want to give them too much knowledge. You don't want to give them too much power And you don't want them to be too happy because then you lose that control. On the flip side, when you make people too unhappy, you lose control anyway, as this principal is finding out right now. Um, But so after, you know, after the hallways, the students went outside, they were chanting, yelling, uh, started making their own signs. Um, They... A reporter at the scene noted that there were some 100 students, both boys and girls, all around the school. And I and I should know this, but I don't know how big the school was. But I can't imagine the schools were very, very big. So to have 100 students outside of a school yeah. Um, yeah. is pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, so they're surrounding the school, yelling, "We want Miss Scott." And then while all this is going on, Miss Scott, you know, reportedly, uh, you know, is super distraught. She's crying. She doesn't want to be fired. Um, understandably, I mean, she cares about the kids. She cares about her job. It's just, it's just a really weird situation. And I have to remind the listeners at this point that this is because kids laughed too long. So yeah, just remember that. Um, but yeah. And so, you know, late the Friday later on, so this was on a Friday. So later that Friday afternoon, um, this is still all the same day. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah, correct. And so, you know, during this this Friday afternoon, um, they decide to take their protest to the superintendent's office. So all these kids or at least most of these kids march through downtown, go to the superintendent's office. um, And they were they were led by a a young girl named uh, Berta Diaz de Leon. Um, And I'm I'm putting her name out there just in case people want to do research on her. I don't know what if she, you know, continued this movement, but. Uh, she seemed to be the the student representative, if you will, for this group uh, okay. of students. So they they go to the superintendent's office. Um, however, the original assistant, the original superintendent or assistant superintendent, said like, "No, I'm sticking with my ruling. We're not the place canceled." And so at this point, you really have to wonder, like, like what's the deal here? I don't. It just seems so petty i don't know if it's one of those things where like i again it's power trip right it has to be something along those lines of like these kids aren't listening to me did you ever do senior ditch day when you were in high school yeah um yeah and how did your definitely took advantage of that (laughs) how did the administration like react to that they knew it was gonna happen they were fine
1: yeah uh, i remember being a junior and then like uh, and then it happened you know, that day came when it was going to happen and then they were like, yeah, whatever. It's funny.
0: <laughs> it's funny you say that because mine, I had the exact opposite experience. So my, I went to a smaller school, but my, I'm sorry everyone for the tangent, but I do think this is relevant just in the sake of context or the story and everything. But I remember we got a phone call Sunday night saying tomorrow's senior ditch day. So the the crew planning it was very smart because it wasn't like, this date was floating around for months uh, beyond a group of like 10 people. And so um, we did it. Like we, it was, I was like, yeah, we'll do it. And it was funny because the administration, they started to act like they knew that it, they started acting act like, oh yeah, we knew, like we knew this was gonna happen the whole time and like <laughs> everything was reactionary and teachers took it all personally and all this stuff. But um, I kind of feel like maybe there's a little bit of that here too, where it's like, oh, these kids are not listening to me. They did something I didn't expect them to do and now I need to show who's boss, kind of a deal. Um, when okay, <laughs> comparing the two, senior ditch day and these students protest much, much different. And I understand that. My point just being that sometimes I think school administrations want to be um, want to be one up on everyone, and when they get one up, they don't necessarily sure. they don't necessarily enjoy it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Embarrassment, ego, whatever. Yeah. There's uh, a
1: factor in a small way or a big way for yeah, sure. Yeah. It still makes sense.
0: And, and again, you know, I, I don't mean to keep bringing this back to this, but at that time, I mean, Mexicans were looked at as much less than, so it's like, Oh, I can't get shown up by the Mexicans. Right. Sure. And there's no factual thing about that. I'm drawing my own conclusions, but whatever. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So, you know, so Friday night ends, the weekend comes. And there are rumors that the students are going to continue that strike on Monday. Well, at this point now, parents are going to start getting involved um, because, I mean, their kids just protested their school and the parents are probably just coming. You know, there's no Twitter. There's no none of that. There's no cell phones. I mean, the parents are probably just finding out. They also work. I'm
1: also thinking the parents probably at some point had some kind of um, maybe at the very least were we like excited about the play oh. or even help them. And they're like, what the? Heck?
0: Alan, get past the play. You know, It's dead. Mean? The play is dead.
1: But I mean, like it really, um, you know. Can you tell Alan's Alan, an actor or no, what? No. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of prep that goes into stuff like that. A lot of energy and effort. So it's like, yeah, the teacher and also on top of that, this thing that we were going to do with
0: the teacher. Yeah. All just, yeah, all got all cancel it yeah and i mean that's deflating yeah and to add to your point like i'm sure the kids come home every day excited about the play like again they're not getting a proper education school's probably not that exciting for them (laughs) so to be able to do something that excites them and then that's been taken away i'm gonna back up real quick i know the parents did get involved but i just want to get this part out first so um so that monday morning uh the students decided they showed up at 8 a.m they're like we're not going in until miss scott comes back again 100 students led by bertha diaz de leon were out bright and early i'm ready to go toe-to-toe again and so at that point the school board president um, came to join principal phillips uh, and approached the students to and pleaded with them to go to classes Um, however (laughs) according to reports the pleading sounded like this Uh, this is no way to act you ought to be ashamed of yourselves Um, They would shout back, we want Miss Scott. He would shout back, the taxpayers spend a lot of money giving you an education. You ought to appreciate that. And so here now we're seeing that same old thing of you're lucky to be in this country. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's just that argument is so sad and tired. I guess maybe it wasn't as sad and tired in the 30s, but it's just the argument that someone should be happy and should be appreciative because they're in a place it's just so insane to me. And maybe that's because I'm in that place. I don't know. But I think that that doesn't mean you don't have the right to question where you are Yeah. Uh, or right. push back when you feel like you're not being treated properly. So, you Absolutely. know, these are arguments and statements that have been made for almost a hundred years now, I guess. I mean, probably longer, but with this in their story, own ways. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, but I know what you're saying. Um, and so, yeah, so the students continue to protest, um, Uh, they left they decided to again march around the town so they went downtown Um, they were startling business owners you know pedestrians people just out and about Uh, they carried banners that they made over the weekend painted with crown and chalk and anything they could get their hands on you know that they said things like no scott no school Um, and it's interesting and it's it's really cool uh, because there's this essay included in this book about one, from one of the protesters. Um, her, um, his name is Vicente Mendoza, and it just kind of gives you an in-depth sort of feeling of what they're feeling, and, and remember that, you know, these are middle school kids, and, and Vicente is showing these emotions through this essay and pleading with his administration. Like, they just want to be happy. They just want to have someone in charge that cares about them. So, actually, Alan, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to have you read this essay. Um, and we'll um,
1: talk about it after vicente wrote miss scott is a person who has given all her life to her job that is to teach her children she will get anybody to do as she says with few and kind words she never whips a student until she has spoken to him about 10 times in a nice way making him see the right thing because she has more patience with children than any mother has She very seldom scolds a child, and still, you can go into her room and see everybody working as hard as they can, and if a pin drops, it can be heard. Most of the teachers leave school a few minutes after 3 p.m. every day while she gets home at 5 p.m. every day. She will spend her Sunday afternoon and evening until 10 p.m. working in the school so she can make the room comfortable for her children. Half of her salary is spent on us. She is always buying new books for us. She spends her money on picnics, hikes, balls, and all kinds of pretty things for us so that we will be happy and enjoy school. There aren't many teachers like our dear Miss Scott, and why should she be taken away from us? All of her students cried and walked out of the school. She didn't tell us anything about striking. We were so mad and sad that we thought that was the only way to getting her back because they won't even let us talk to her. Oh, if we had known that we were to lose our teacher, we would have much rather taken 10 punishments ten punishments than to see ourselves without her. We hope our superintendent and our principal will see the matter over again and in the right way, because school will not mean much to us without our dear Miss Scott.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, again, middle school, so I mean, I don't know. Yeah. We, you know, But just the fact that, I mean, we all know how hard it was to get us to write essays in middle school and these students are doing it, um, to protest and make a point. And I think it's stuff like this. I, you know, our last episode was about, um, art and murals and how that's sort of like the way that we expressed ourselves. And it's cool to see because I felt, um, it was cool to see this essay because I felt Right now, it feels like like we're entering a time where it's a good spot and a good time for us to be telling our stories. We have access to all these different mediums, all these different things to help us tell these stories. And it's just really cool to see that in the 30s, you know, members of our community were still trying to express themselves in some way, shape, or form. And that's why I thought that was kind of cool. I probably didn't do much, but I think to have this written record of that is like pretty incredible. Um, it'd be cool to see it like handwritten like it was. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of energy behind that. mm -hmm. Um, it takes you immediately into like what's happening energetically. What's what's going on in that moment.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, so then now we'll go back, um, to the parents that started chatting over the weekend and, um, You know, they supported their kids, they kept their kids out of school. It's debatable whether who and whether they did that for safety reasons or whether they did that out of protest. Um, Some parents claim that it was out of protest, but, you know, realistically, there's probably quite a few who did it for safety reasons as well. And in addition to that, um, over that weekend, some of the parents got together and they're expressing concerns. Kind of what we were talking about earlier is like, what's the retaliation going to be against these students, Um, Mm -hmm. which seems like a valid concern from a parent in today's times, let alone a time, again, where people were seen as lesser in this community. Like, um, So, you know, they got together and they started to talk about it. And, you know, they kind of came to the conclusion that they want Miss Scott to be back too, uh, not just for the kids, but, you know, they for them. Because if their kids are enjoying school, it makes their life easier. And, and it seems like Miss Scott was taking care of her kids. So they actually started circulating a petition that all the parents were signing.
1: Did the parents know why she was?
0: I can't imagine at this point they knew. Um, <laughs> I just, it's not like the school sent out a, yeah, a no, letter to I all just, the
1: parents and like, we sent her home for dumb reasons. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cause the kids laughed and she thought that was dumb that they were running. Right.
1: It was a, more of a hush hush move yeah. probably.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure the school probably wouldn't have said anything. They probably found out from the kids, right? Like the yeah. school is probably just like, yeah, we have a new teacher it is what it is sorry um but and then uh then in addition to the petition to bring back miss scott they <laughs> circulated another petition the parents yeah. yeah the parents correct to get rid of principal phillips for this mess and while a lot of it had to do with this and her lack of support for the students and worrying about the students there were some other reasons as well and that and this was stemmed from before the the strike uh, when she disbanded the PTA because she refused to meet with parents in the evenings. She wanted to meet with parents in the afternoons, knowing that the largest contingent of students in her school have day laboring parents who work twelve hour days. Yeah. Like they're not going to get back in an afternoon. They might not even make the evenings. So the clear disregard for not only the students, but for the parents' time and and not actually wanting to improve anything um, led to the parents circulating that other petition to get rid of the principal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the back and forth kind of continued, um, and the students were willing to extend this as long as they needed to, and the parents were in full support, at least most of them were. So finally, the administration realized that this wasn't a very good look, uh, and they gave in. Uh, to some of the changes, kind of, that the kids wanted. So first, um, they reiterated that no punishment would be given to the students who who, were, who went on strike. Um, they would be able to return without any punishment. Uh, Miss Scott would return uh, to San Jacinto uh, the following fall, and not only that, she would be the homeroom teacher for the students who went on strike. And and. F- the principal finally agreed to hold PTA meetings at reasonable hours for the parents. Um, and so Scott, uh, Ms. Scott kind of gave this like, f- um, final quote to the newspaper where she said, I appreciate uh, to the kids, which is, I appreciate more than I can tell the things you have tried to do for me. I want you boys and girls to do things in the best way, the peaceful way. The one thing I ask you to do for me and which will make me happier than anything else is that you go back to school and show everyone what fine children you are. So this was a quote given to them, obviously, before they agreed uh, to go to end the strike. And there was also a meeting uh, that went on uh, once those terms, you know, where those terms were met. And I wanted to read that description here of that meeting because I think it was kind of cool. But um, The meeting of the parents? No, so this was the meeting of the students and the parents and the principal kind of, this is where they come to those the uh, agreements of those three terms that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, but this was what was written in the, uh, in the El Paso Herald post um, after the event. So, pretty dark-eyed Bertha Diaz de Leon, 12-year-old San Jacinto school student, ended the student strike with a short speech to striking students on the front porch of her home yesterday. Facing the group of howling, cheering students, Bertha raised her hand for silence. All of you be quiet a minute, she commanded. The children obeyed. Do you want to go back to school tomorrow, she asked. Now don't answer me yet. I want to say something. Miss Phillips has told me that we can come back to school and she will not attempt any revenge for the strike. Our parents have talked to Miss Scott and she's she says she is happy at Lincoln Park because school officials told her she could return to San Jacinto in September. I'm going to say that again. Our parents have talked to Miss Scott, and she says that she is happy at Lincoln Park because school officials told her she could return to San Jacinto in September. Miss Phillips says we are going to have a high seventh grade next fall and that Miss Scott would be the teacher. Now, do you want to go back to school? Students looked at each other bashfully. One girl timidly said yes. Another said she would go back to a class. Another said she would go back to class. A boy shouted, let's go back. The children broke into cheering as... One after another agreed to end the strike. They slapped each other on the back and laughed. The strike was over. Um, Did they
1: laugh too long, though?
0: I know. <laughs> Start the whole thing over again. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the end of the story there. And and I'm going to read some excerpts from this book because I was trying to figure out how do we sum this up? And then and I realized Mario Garcia does a much better job than we probably ever could. So I'm going to read some of that, but I kind of wanted to see if you had any thoughts. Um, I mean, it's just like you were saying; it's just
1: another example of kind of the same thing: the the
0: push and the pull, and then. Um, Does it surprise you that this story takes place that long ago? Or, no, no. Does it surprise you that as middle school kids doing something like this? A little. Yeah. I mean
1: but that's like what the whole thing's about, right? Like they're the ones getting neglected, but they have so much of a of a purpose. I and would, that's what they're defending. And hmm. then they're just getting to show it in this in this way. But you know, like had they were if had the school actually been paying attention what they had in front of them, like you guys got these badass kids. Yeah. I think
0: that a lot of it comes down to, I mean, it's easy for us to say, cause we're probably more towards that end, but it is something to be said. There's something to be said about youth and how the energy that comes from the, from youth helps create these movements. I just, it, you know, there's still, open-eyed and, and curious about everything and realizing, you know, like, why are we treated in this way? Whereas, like, maybe some of their parents just kind of accepted it at that point or maybe previous generations would just kind of accept it because it's like it is what it is. Yeah, or disillusioned or something. Exactly. So it's just it's just interesting. I don't know. I found the story super interesting um, because it kind of kicked off this whole thing, this whole movement, in a weird way. Like I said, I, I don't think that it, you know, there wasn't things not this isn't it wasn't a domino effect but i think it shows the power of a walkout and it shows the power that our community can have when it comes together and when you push it too far what happens um and that it allows it allows our community to feel closer together we have that in common and we have and we'll fight together and that sort of thing i don't know it just had a really cool um Outcome, I guess the yeah. fact that these students were able to band together and, and well, it worked exactly. It doesn't always work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, and it wasn't it wasn't because of you know they wanted to be disobedient or you know it wasn't something petty. They wanted to keep their teacher that was treating them like human beings. And I think not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but you hear people talk about protests and even. Um, Uh, like, riots and stuff, and it's, like, it's because, like, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and say I condone rioting, but I'm also not going to say I don't necessarily support it at times. Like, I understand when people don't know what to do, they they get drastic, right? And so when you push a community to a breaking point, like, what do you think is going to happen? And we see it, we've seen it the last four years in various communities, we've seen it everywhere, and it's, it's cool to see. Um, it's sad that we have to see it, but it is cool to kind of see the communities coming together. Yeah. But um, I'll read these last little bits, and then we can um, see if you have any final thoughts. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. But basically, this was just a summary of, from Mario, the author of the book and the story, um, kind of summarizing how he feels the event impacted the overall movement, but. So, <clears throat> the 1936 El Paso walkout reflects larger issues concerning social justice and Mexicans throughout the border region and the Southwest. Mexicans were prized for one essential characteristic, cheap labor. Mexican immigrants were enticed across the border and contracted to work by the railroads, the mining industry, agribusiness, construction companies, and a myriad of other employers who hungered for this cheap labor source. Um, This relationship was established and institutionalized on a large scale in the early 20th century. It continued throughout the century and exists even to this day. The public educational system, directly and indirectly, was organized in El Paso and elsewhere to reflect this relationship. To justify the exploitation of Mexican cheap labor, employers and uh, and others participated in the racialization of Mexicans, promoting the notion that to be Mexican was to be racially inferior. The sleepy, lazy, and passive Mexican... The public schools integrated this racialization. Mexican-American students were seen as racially and mentally inferior to Anglo children and hence were provided with only limited and inferior education with the intent, consciously or unconsciously, to augment the cheap labor force. Consequently, teachers had low expectations of their Mexican-American students. So this was kind of something we talked about throughout, and so we don't need to dive in too much, but I mean, it sums it up perfectly. It, there's clear there's clearly an ulterior motive to treating these students the way that they do. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, or not treating them. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. Just
1: letting them stay on the side (laughs) and get away with whatever they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because they... uh, uh, Again, because the history behind it, right? Like you were saying they probably
0: were getting away with that for a while. And then that's, yeah. And it just takes, it just takes the one group. Imagine if this group didn't say anything, who knows how long it would have been before somebody said something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I do have one more thing from Mario and then, and then we can, uh, have a little bit of an ending discussion, but, It's basically his thoughts on what to take away from this, um, from the whole strike in general. But what we can take away from the historic strike is that Mexican-Americans, Chicanos, and other Latinos have never been passive about educational opportunities, recognizing them as pathways out of poverty and marginalization. Knowing about the 1936 strike and other struggles for educational justice, such as the 1968 blowouts, which we've mentioned, uh, is crucial in empowering us, our children and students with the critical consciousness that educational justice can be achieved through nonviolent grassroots struggles see si se puede um, I wanted to say that last part because I didn't really think about it that way um, at first until I read the story but it's true that um you talk about education and you talk about these things and you talk about poor communities or you know and people go oh well if they just we more successful. Just be more successful. <laughs> just do it. It's fine. Go to school. These kids went to school. They went to the school that they were allowed to go to and they were given subpar educations. So you can't sit here and say, if you want to be equal, go to school. It's been systemic since the 1930s mm-hmm. and we're working on it. It's getting there. But to just, to, to say that the reason that Mexicans, blacks, Asians are not as successful or prominent in the business world or in you know, in that, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, saying that's because they don't try as hard is insane. <laughs> it's they don't they don't make it because their their starting line is forty yards behind everyone else's. So, I'd also argue
1: that like anyone trying to help them also doesn't have like enough resources, whether it's people or um, or. Or the people like who are doing it maybe aren't trained as well and that's like i you can make an argument that that's all intentional, yeah <laughs> to make it more difficult
0: whether it's subconscious or not or fully conscious decisions are being made based on the way people are perceived and groups of people are perceived and that's still happening and we still mm-hmm. see it and that's mm-hmm. why we're here <laughs> but what i wa- i don't know if it's depressing or hopeful that it was still happening in the 1930s but i think it's important that we and before that obviously um but i think it's important that we at least share some of these historic historic events because you know i just think that it, there's a pride in it too like it's cool it's cool to know that this group of kids like put up that fight and it's cool to know that we can put up a fight like that if we get pushed too far
1: mm-hmm. yeah and, um you you get like an understanding a, a view i guess like a of the capacity of what they can do and it's a great reminder of yeah like you said we can do it too so watch out
0: <laughs> and on that wonderful positive note uh do you have anything else to add
1: um yeah i, I think i was just gonna say that with any kind of um I mean, any kind of resistance is going to cause that where like it's an some kind of overcorrection or overcompensation or something will have to happen. Um, it, cause it happens time and time again. And you know, this happened like 90, about 90 years ago. Right. But, um, any kind, anytime there's like going to be some kind of change or, progression or something like that of course just like on a human level change will you want to resist change like people will typically you, know, you typically want to resist change it's not comfortable it's not what i know it's not you know it's not what i'm used to um and then that's where a lot of like that that friction can can come from as we're going along um i think the history shows we are moving mm-hmm. It feels like so slow <laughs> but it's two steps forward one step back right <laughs> yeah always. sure yeah um but but that's just kind of like the that's just like the nature of it, like mm-hmm. the
0: like um, the almost like a vicious like yeah. loop totally you know yeah and i think like you said i mean more people just need to speak out it doesn't always need to be a strike it doesn't always need to be this big grand gesture but people need to speak out and start telling your stories and stop acting like your happiness is not worth it mm-hmm. i think like i think like mexicans latinos i think probably black americans and asian americans too it feels like you're supposed to just go along with what's happening and you don't really want to cause a fuss yeah but we're here to tell you that to that that you can cause a fuss yeah go ahead we in allow small, it like
1: you said in small ways i'm a big believer in like these kind of things also start in very
0: small ways totally yeah but
1: wars start on very small things
0: war is another thing yeah that's a different podcast laughing too much (laughs) yeah laughing too much small causes war (laughs) um but no i thank you for listening to the story i thank alan for being here and talking about it again you know um this one was just something that i wanted to try um share some stories and we'll do a couple more let us know how you what you think about them um at cafe mihente on instagram and tiktok and uh cafe mihente pod at gmail.com for email and just let us know if you want to hear more stories we've got a ton of them because i guarantee you they're not teaching you these in school so thank you all again thank you alan and we will see you next time thanks for listening guys